Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. 6.30 Chad and the Edmonton Oilers Hockey Club present the show that is everything Oilers. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Managed print services to keep your printing costs down? Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A. On Oilers Radio, 6.30 Chad. Welcome back, everybody. Bob Stoffer, Brendan Escott with you. This is Oilers Now. It's 106 in Edmonton. Second hour of Oilers Now is brought to you by Digitex. Uh, Digitex, who wish you and yours all the best during these uncertain times. Digitex.ca is Alberta's number one owned and operated place to buy office technology and software. We momentarily are going to go to a River Cree Resort Casino hotline, hook up with David Staples from the Cult of Hockey. We've also got Brian Lawton in this hour. Reminder, you can text us on our Ashley Fine Floors text line. Ashley Fine Floors providing winning results for over 35 years. We're on Twitter, at Oilers Now. You can tweet me at Bob underscore Stoffer and tweet Brendan at Brendan Escott. And just before we go to David Staples from the Cult of Hockey, into... Our Ashley Fine Floors text line, Todd says, Bob, I was at every 2006 regular season of playoff game, was always a fan, but the 2006 run solidified it for me and my family. I have a dislike for Carolina. Enjoy hearing uh, from Ethan. I was a big fan of him and the blue-collar core that the Oilers had during uh, that 06 run. And that's where we're going to go as we started off with David Staples from the Cult of Hockey. David, I don't know about you, but I hear all the time, you know, obviously – for guys of your or my age group, we were fortuitous enough to have watched the Oilers of the 80s. But for maybe people that uh, weren't born at that time uh, or were, you know, under the age of four or five, they looked to the 90s runs uh, that, that Edmonton had in some overachieving Edmonton teams. And then there's an entire generation that was spawned really from a special year in 2005 and 2006. There's no question. Uh, I, I, not a lot of people saw it coming, but it was a heck of a ride, wasn't it? That just created so many fans in Edmonton, Bob. Like it just, um, they they came out of the word work. It kind of created a whole new generation of fans. And in fact, I think, you know, it spawned all of these different blogs. Uh, think so. Big reason and all kinds of people um, getting involved in writing blogs. And that's when Low Tide's blog, Alan Mitchell's blog, first yep. took off. And that whole movement, in some ways, of analytics. Um, I mean, all of those, many of those guys were Oilers fans and obsessed with the Oilers. And a lot of them started to blog at that time as well. So it's kind of an interesting, it had a pretty big impact in, in, in a kind of an odd way in that regard because they got interested in the stats. It's and funny for because... Me, uh, Pronger, go ahead. Just watching Pronger play was a treat. 
Yeah, he was he was unreal. Uh, I you know I remember uh, during the regular season there was some criticism of him in early March, right after the Olympics. And Canada, as many remember, lost two nothing to Switzerland and got eliminated from the Olympics after winning the gold medal in two thousand two. And you know, on the big ice surface, some people thought that at times a pronger looked a little uh, slow. And I'm like, what are you talking about? The guy was so smart. He could play the game in a rocking chair. He didn't kiss anybody's butt. Uh, I can tell you that personally. And he loved a good debate, and he often found ways to win them. Uh, and what are you going to say when you're talking about a Hall of Fame caliber defenseman? But I, I'll, I'll never forget on back-to-back days, David, uh, Kevin Lowe's GM acquired Chris Pronger and Michael Peckup from St. Louis and the New York Islanders. And I was thinking... These guys might have a chance to be pretty good, but they couldn't get the stops, right? Conklin, Markinen, uh, Mike Morrison. At one point, Craig Matavish was using Morrison in the shootouts after not playing him in the games. And then Rollison came in, and uh, it wasn't great early for him, but he outplayed Manny Legacy quite dramatically against Detroit, and the orders were off and running. Yeah, it was, I, I just, Pronger's game at that time, you know, it's hard to say in terms of an Oiler defenseman, like, at their very peak, who was the best order defenseman we've ever seen? But it comes down to Pronger that year, I think, and Paul Coffey at his peak. And two yep. extremely different hockey players. But I just think it, it all flowed out of Pronger. And, and the, the thing is, he was so nasty that I think every player like felt a, a couple inches taller and 20 pounds heavier playing with Chris Pronger. He just he was just had that incredible kind of presence on the ice and mean streak and he and he really I think he really carried that team. But Lowe did a great job. Kevin Lowe did a great job that year adding players like with with Rollison coming in and Samsonov and and Yaroslav Spachek. So it, it was such a fantastic year and it doesn't really to me feel I know they lost but I know to the people on the team that was a really horrible moment. But for fans it was it was close to winning because it was so unexpected. And, and let's face it, right now in the NHL, it, there's 31 teams. Or there was 30 teams then, I think. And it's harder to win now than it was in the 80s. And no certainly question. in the 70s and the 60s when there was m- many fewer teams. So getting to the Stanley Cup Finals is almost equivalent of winning the Cup in the ni- in 1970. You know, you, you think about it, and they came back from 2 nothing and 3-1 down on that series and 2 nothing down in Game 7. And uh, Torres... Drove the net hard, and then uh, Pisani, you know, cleaned it up, and it was 2-1. And then they had almost another identical play like that with about three minutes left in the game. And the Oilers were coming. And, and Carolina, uh, one thing I remember, David, it was being there for the morning skates, and you could not hear a pin drop during Carolina's skate. Uh, Edmonton uh, was on after, and the Oilers were they were loose. Um, obviously, I think Edmonton would like to have the first 10 minutes of that game back, but they, they went down swinging right to the end, and again, with their backup goaltender. And so it was a pretty amazing accomplishment. Um, just before, we've not updated anything. Uh, the numbers have come in, and I know we heard you on the conference call with the education minister. Uh, Edmonton is now down to 8% of Alberta's COVID cases. The last two days, minus two positive COVID cases. So they've, they've obviously attributed two cases that were assigned to Edmonton Health Zone to other areas, which means that uh, there's been 7,000 tests. Uh, check that, 7,600 tests done in the last nine days, just 23 positive tests in uh, the Edmonton Health District. Uh, Edmonton at 12 deaths uh, since the state started seven weeks ago. I, I, I'm going to tell you right now, I talk to first responders all the time. 
we have a, a at least at this stage in in one respect fortunately but in another respect totally unfortunately a way more challenging day-to-day issue with mental health that we have to get on board and support and that we're living with uh but david you're on this stuff every day uh and it does tie back into hockey but i think it reinforces when you look at those numbers at least red deer north even you know what even how they handle the whole situation with the, the ongoing testing in the south david the the province should receive a degree of credit for how things have gone here you know it's interesting that we we had some good luck i think you know just because i think we're kind of a we're not a tourist destination in the middle yes. of the winter neither is calgary really and they they are a little bit more than us so i think that speaks to how few cases we have compared to Ontario and Quebec. But I think um, let's also give credit where it's due. I think Albertans have done a great job listening to um, Dina Hinshaw, socially distancing, distancing, taking this seriously. And we've got great, um, we've got great uh, PPE in place for our healthcare workers. There's been one huge outbreak at Cargill, but I think that they learn from that. And I think uh, when there's future outbreaks at big institutions, we're going to do a better job of shutting them down because we've got our heads around kind of the best practices. It, you know, it was a learning curve for everybody, and no one knew what to do, but we're all learning. And, uh, you know, I'm really just optimistic, Bob. It's definitely the time in, in uh, northern Alberta at least to start opening up. Um, you know, we, the idea wasn't to eliminate the disease. It was to flatten the curve. But turns out we've come close to eliminating the disease here in northern Alberta at least. That said, things can get out of hand quickly, and we've got to stay on top of it. But I'm just really encouraged, and uh, I think we're going to be opening up and getting back to near to normal very soon here. Well, the best jurisdictions test, test, test. Uh, and again, going into yesterday, Alberta tested at 2 to 1 per capita rate in B.C., and I do know that B.C. started to pick it up. Uh, the two provinces have basically the same respective death rates. Obviously, Alberta's got a lot more positive cases because they've tested twice as much as BC per capita. So, uh, and given the asymptomatic nature of the virus, it only makes sense the more you test, the more you're going to find here. This does tie back into the NHL, David. And uh, we know Edmonton has uh, submitted a proposal to be a regional host uh, if the NHL is is back up and running. And I, and I get the sense that there's some openness at the provincial level. I got to tell you, I'm a little concerned uh, with things federally. Um, there, clearly, there's been some politicking going on. Uh, you know, there was something initially with a couple bills that tried to get pushed through that uh, for a minority government, some would say were quite tasteless and uh, maybe trying to capitalize on the coronavirus situation. Um, and then Ontario and Quebec, they're sitting with 90... Quebec, after today, uh, Quebec is at 298 deaths per million, which exceeds that of the United States for all the criticism the U.S. has had. Ontario is at 102 deaths per million after today. Quebec's got 60% of uh, the coronavirus deaths in Canada. And I, I, I wonder if there might not be uh, philosophical alignment between maybe what the federal government is doing versus the provincial government. I think all of the politicians are... Super careful, if not scared of opening up. Yeah. So I think there's that, and and I, but, but Bob, I think also. Listen, Toronto's in the playoffs this year. Vancouver's in the playoffs this year. Montreal might be. Um, Quebec, 
Quebecers are more opening, or they have the highest, uh, biggest problem by far of anyone in Canada with this. But they're also the most um, willing to open up. I mean, they're going back to school there, I believe. So there's something culturally where the people in Quebec are more open to uh, taking a bit of chance, and, and maybe maybe they're more like the Swedes, you know, a bit more open to the herd immunity kind of process, protecting the vulnerable if you can, which they didn't do a good job in Quebec, but proceeding that way. So I don't think in the end, I mean, liberal strongholds are Montreal, Vancouver, Toronto. If there's a huge um, uh, push in those cities to see NHL hockey, and there really is no health risk, if there's no scientific problem there's no public health risk there's no real risk to the players if they're testing constantly probably in quarantine i don't see the federal government getting in the way um because this is this is their heartland montreal toronto and vancouver and if people in those cities want nhl hockey and it's safe i don't see the liberals uh getting in the way of that okay time will tell in that regard david staples from the cult of hockey david you had an interview of jim playfair yeah and what did you learn about why the Oilers' penalty killing, which I believe finished 25th last year, 30th or 31st the year before, why the Oilers' PK has been so dramatically better this season. It's currently second. Uh, you know, when the pause happened, the Oilers were first in the league on the power play, second on PK. It was a real mystery to me, Bob, because it's uh, just as a, a fan watching the game, I think it's the hardest thing for the average or you know, even intense fans, it's fanatical fans to to understand is the PK. And the Oilers' PK this year gave up more shots, but fewer high-danger shots, and had this immense improvement. So I was confounded about why, how they had improved so much. So Playfair was very generous with his time, and he explained it to me. Essentially, there was a few things going on. They had a five-on-five attitude. So instead of thinking, you know, we're going to have these special tactics on the PK, on a certain level, we, it was just like, we're going to play this almost like it's five on five. And when the pucks, uh, when we're forechecking, we're going to just, uh, the, the forward's going to forecheck as if it was uh, uh, five on five in the neutral zone. They're going to go right after those players. But the big thing, Bob, was protecting the middle of the ice. The Oilers didn't want to do three things. They didn't want to have any shots in the middle of the ice. They didn't want to have cross-team passes, and they didn't want to have uh, rebounds. And I think the thing they did different was they protected the middle of the ice a little bit different than other teams. So so on the zone entries, they were a bit more focused on clogging up the middle of the ice as opposed to um, um, uh, making a stand at the blue line like a lot of teams do. A lot of teams do something called a 1-3 and they force the player over to the uh, side of the ice and try to pinch him off at the blue line with a hard stand. The owners were more willing to give up the zone, but they were not willing to give up anything in the middle. That was the focus. And once they got it into the Oilers' zone, Playfair said, the whole focus was try to get that puck, force that puck down low, have kind of uh, three players uh, around the puck uh, with the, you know, fighting with opposition players the, uh, who are around the puck as if it were a five-on-five situation, force that puck down low, and they figured if they get the puck down low, that's where they were able to kind of strike, win the battle, and get it down the ice. Um, and um, the other thing was that they they worked, and I'm sure they always do this, but they were working really hard with the goalies, so the goalies completely understood the system, what the tactics were, so they would know what's going on and where to move in the net. So I think it was a combination of those things, and obviously it paid off. Well, it's interesting. Uh, we just heard Ethan Morrow in the previous segment talking about the fact that they weren't going to give up the middle of the ice to Detroit. They were going to give up shots from outside. 
And uh, you heard uh, David discuss uh, Jim Playfair, the Oilers' uh, penalty-killing coach, not giving up the uh, middle of the ice uh, on, in, in terms of giving up high-caliber scoring opportunities. Uh, David, i got to tell you, I did not believe that if, you know, we'd gotten into the playoffs, and all bets are off if we do indeed get started now. Like, I have no idea how it's going. But I did not believe that Edmonton was going to be able to sustain a number one ranked power play and a number two ranked penalty kill come playoff time. But I did think the team was going to be better positioned to play five on five hockey, uh, that they'd made a couple of additions, Athanasiu and Ennis, even though Athanasiu didn't gain any traction, that gave them some more options with what they could potentially do and also the potential return of Nygaard. So uh, I was going to uh, just get a quick thought on you on that front. I mean, they were so good on the special teams. But I think if we are lucky enough to play again, it's going to be tough to get back up to that level right from the get-go. The thing I like about their approach on the PK in the end was just it was all about aggression. Like they're, it's, you know, it's not like they're playing in a frenzy. They're smart about it. But they really, really want to be super aggressive. And I think that that kind of going-forward attitude, that, that aggression, uh, pay off in the playoffs where you're just what you're used to what you've been trained to do all year is to go for it to be aggressive so instead of the pressure maybe getting to you and you backing off and being too passive which Playfair said was uh, a problem on the PK is that players will be too passive they'll back off when they shouldn't the Oilers in, are trained to just go for it and battle so I think that that's a kind of a playoff mentality and it actually might translate into the playoffs, you know, but of course it all comes down to balances and goaltending on a certain level. So the orders could get unlucky and their, their PK could not be as good. But um, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's because I've been away from watching the orders so long. But the I just I'm just very optimistic about this team in the playoffs because they're young, they're aggressive, they're hungry, they want to go for it, and I just see that that that's going to help them. Uh, and, and, of course, Ken Holland did out all these players, so they're going to have some depth. Well, he did out a bunch of players, but one player that uh, was Oilers' property, uh, he didn't have. And that player could be an interesting guy. I mentioned yesterday on the show, David, I wonder if the draft happens before the resumption of the regular season. And if you can't trade players off your current 50-man roster... If that, uh, at the draft, if that might mean there might be more valuation for a guy like Yesapoliari, I'd like to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, you and Speck had a really interesting talk about that yesterday, and I hadn't thought about it but um, before then. But it was, it's, uh, it's a very, if there's so, if you can't trade for, if NHL teams are looking to improve themselves next year, and you, and you can't trade for veterans because all the teams heading into the playoffs, they're not going to want to move their veterans like they normally would. Like the orders might be looking at moving two or three veterans at a normal draft um, to, to pick up draft picks because the orders have so few draft picks this year. That, they, they can't do that because they're heading into the playoffs. Um, so, so no matter what, even if they did open it up to full trading, all those teams heading into the playoffs aren't going to want to move players. But if they, don't, if they make it so you can't trade NHL roster players, and a player like Paul Yarby, like his value will never be that high again as at that moment because he's a, 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 a he's played in the NHL. He had a good year in Finland. If a team's looking to improve itself next year, they're thinking and, and they don't they don't want to wait. They want to do something at the draft. They've got all these draft picks. Suddenly, Paul Yarby, instead of maybe being worth one, maybe two draft picks, becomes worth two or three draft picks. I think, and uh, that could be very attractive to the Oilers. I will mention the Montreal Canadiens have 14 picks. Um, 
I don't believe they would be a team that would uh, be significantly interested in Yesa Poliarvi, for what it's worth. Uh, David, uh, how can people follow you? Uh, they've got Twitter, at DStaples. There we have it. Hey, thanks for your time, David. We'll touch base next Wednesday. Thanks. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Bob. It is 1.24 in Edmonton. We'll take a timeout. You're listening to Oilers Now. This is Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. It's 1.26 in Edmonton. Welcome back, everybody. Bob Stoffer, Brendan S. Scott with you. Brent Ridge Ford in Wetaskiwin, focused on your health and peace of mind. Cars cost less in Wetaskiwin. And right now they're offering special discounts to those battling the COVID-19 pandemic on the front lines, including Canadian Forces personnel, first responders, professional health care workers, pharmacists, and pharmacy techs. Find out about how Brent Ridge Ford is built to lend a hand by calling 1-877-477-3673 or visiting uh, brentridge.com. Back into our Ashley Fine Floors text line. Um, and there were several of you that uh, text regarding Ethan Moreau's, uh, impor- uh, Ethan Moreau's imp- uh, appearance on the show. James says, Bob, uh, don't forget with the 06 run about the late Paul Lorio and the trend that he started with O Canada. And, yeah, he, there was no question he was a part of it. And, Brendan, I know you played the opening. Had you heard that opening before? No, I hadn't. And you know what? It's amazing. They did a great job for Game 7, too. But just the energy from the crowd made that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Because, uh, you know, Cal Nichols and the group from the Edmonton Investors Group, you know, they stepped up in 1998. I don't think in their wildest dreams in 98, they thought we, well, maybe they thought the owners might be able to get to a uh, salary cap. And suddenly a whole bunch of teams had to shave uh, for the start of the 05-06 season. The owners ended up getting Pronger and Packup. Uh, but Edmonton was a fair to middling team all season long. And then they got the, it was just unbelievable watching it. And, you know what? They outplayed. They, they, okay, they got outplayed in one of the games against Detroit. They got outplayed the first two games in San Jose. Uh, you heard Ethan Morrow talk about it. Like they hung on against Anaheim. Anaheim was coming on as that series wore on. The Brew Crew says, Bob, great trip down memory lane from 2006. I had a huge appreciation for Alex Hemsky then, too. Ryan Smith losing his teeth and coming back out to finish the game and set up the GWG. Chris Pronger, great trade. And then Rollison, seal to deal. It was gold, brother, from Brew Crew. I remember being at the Oilers' office. They had the press conference, the availability there with uh, Kevin Lowe after Edmonton had uh, made the deal for Rollison. And 
there were a lot of guys in the media that were non-believers that that was going to help Edmonton. Uh, turned out to go pretty well for those uh, guys during the course of that 05-06 playoff run. Off to a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell and Brian Lott when we return on Oilers Now. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio. 630 Chad.